Hi, it's Shana here. Before this episode starts, I'm popping in with a quick reminder about our upcoming CEU on Thursday, June 20th. It's on how to approach the intake process without spending hours on assessments. As BCBAs, we know that sometimes the new learner intake process can seem to take forever, but our learners need to get started with programming and make progress as soon as possible. So how can we streamline the intake process so that it doesn't consist of hours of assessments? Join us live on Thursday, June 20th at 12 p.m. Eastern time, as Sheer and I walk you through our intake process with lots of video exemplars of different learners and teach you how to use our assessment with ease. You can earn one learning CEU for ACE, QABA, or IBAO. Join us live at this event or to watch the recording asynchronously, go to howtoaba.com forward slash CEU. See you then. Hi, I'm Shira Karpow. And I'm Shana Gaunt, and we're board certified behavior analysts. At HowToABA, we provide practical resources, community, and support to ABA professionals. In each episode of our podcast, we will be having real conversations with real people sharing real stories about ABA. We'll share relevant strategies and actionable tips that will make us all better ABA practitioners. It's the ABA content you need that you're not going to learn in a textbook. On today's podcast, we are answering a question from one of our members on the topic of scripting and echolalia. So the question says, I was wondering if anyone knew of any practical tips to help reduce scrolling responses. I have tried using errorless teaching, but as soon as I add a distractor and go back to the SD, the client gets it wrong again. Any help would be great. Yeah, it is. um, Scrolling is real. My question would be, is it across operands? Is it one particular operand? So they're scrolling within, you know, imitation, for instance. So if I were to say, do this, and I clap my hands, and the student went through a whole variety of responses. So maybe they touch their head first, and then their shoulders, and then they clap their hands eventually. Um, that could be a scrolling, right? Um, that's within an imitation uh, standpoint. But if there's, you know, like a verbal standpoint, so if you say, um, what's this? And then they scroll through their repertoire. You hold up a picture of an apple and you say, what's this? And they say, apple cut banana. They finally land on banana or apple or whatever the picture is you've held up That's scrolling. Um, there's also other scrolling, which would be receptive labeling, right? You've got a few pictures out and you say, point to this and they point to everything. And <laughs> have you ever had that kid who points to everything and then looks at you like, Hey, which one are you going to stop on and say, great job. Um, those are all scrolling. So, you know, my question is like, which operant is it across? Because you do things a little bit differently um, for the particular operant. And I would also look at um, therapist responses. So errorless, sure, but like, what are the therapist responses? And it's so hard sometimes to catch the scrolling because if you hold up a picture of an apple and the student says cup apple, how do you stop that? That's tough. So let's start, I guess, with imitation. Uh, Let's start there. So if I have a student who is scrolling with an imitation response, so I say do this to clap hands, then um, what I would do is make sure their hands are down. So have their hands down first. If you have to gently touch their hands, um, just hold them in place. Um, that's what I would do. And then I would say, you know, okay, do this. And I know I can't clap and hold someone's hands at the same time, but I might have like handprints or something on the table, have them, you know, have their hands down. And I would say, okay, do this. 
And as soon as they start putting their hands up, get ready to go in there to help with that clap. Uh, if you know they touch their head first, if they clap next, what have you, um, that's wrong. Uh, it would be like a straight up, no, I'm going to help you. And that's errorless. And it sounds like she's tried errorless. So you know this person has tried errorless teaching and it's just not working. Um, so what are some other tips? Look at if she's being, like if the student is being reinforced for touching head and then clapping, um, because that could be it. It could be, okay, I touched head really quickly and then I clapped or I did something and then I clapped and I'm getting it. Um, so look at that reinforcement piece as well. Yeah, sometimes it's about our messy reinforcement or our messy reactions that make it unclear for the learner because they're like, well, no matter which one of these actions I do, sometimes you reinforce and sometimes you don't. And so making that really clear. Um, also, I find that in teaching, if we're not doing enough mixing and varying with something like imitation and they're only like memorizing that every time you say do this, I clap my hands. And, you know, after 10 trials of that or after mastery of that, then you start teaching a whole nother action, then they're just going to resort to like the one that they're most comfortable with. But if within the teaching, we're doing enough mixing and varying so that they're really imitating and they're not just memorizing the action that got them reinforcement the previous time, but they actually have to look and imitate, um, then that is just a better way to teach it so that you can reduce some of the scrolling. So if the scrolling is happening, I would go back and say, okay, how many, uh, how many actions are on this target response list that the student is quote unquote mastered, which they obviously haven't, you know, if it's two, okay, fine. But if it's 10, you know, go back to two, go back and say, okay, they really don't have these ones mastered. Let's go back to the ones that are completely solid and practice those in a very mixed and varied format. If they don't have any that are solid and they're scrolling through everything, then I would probably restart. And exactly what Shira said, we typically don't just teach one label or action at a time. We typically start with a set of two or three. And the reason for that is to prevent the scrolling. Because like Shira said, if you do 10 things in a row and then you switch, well, What's the person going to do on the 11th time when you've switched or the, the 11th trial when you've switched things up? I mean, I know I would go to just autopilot mode of like, well, this is what I got reinforced for in the past. So this is what I'm going to try again. So make sure you're constantly mixing and varying. If you have a student who can't handle a lot of mix and vary because, you know, they're really low and it takes them a long time to learn one target, maybe mixing and varying from a different program or a different domain. So, for instance, if you're doing imitation and you say, you know, do this and you want them to clap their hands and then you can say, OK, like point to this dot or something that they're good at or like, hey, I'm going to hold up something and you're going to point to it. And you're going to get it something so that it's just different. It shifts the focus and then you go back to the clap hands again. Uh, can help as well. Uh, in terms of, you know, uh, error correction with uh, something like verbal scrolling. So if I say, what's your name? And someone says either, what's your name? Because that happens a lot. That's echolalia. What's your name? Echolalia. Or sorry, what's your name? What's your name? Or if um, you hold up an apple and they say uh, banana apple, then that's an issue. So again, if they're if you hold up an apple and they're saying banana apple, that's scrolling. And I would look at how many quote unquote targets this is happening with and reduce the number of targets that you need to teach. So, you know, if they've quote unquote mastered 10 or 20 or 30, go back and really get two or three really solid um, before moving on. 
Um, another thing I want to talk about is error correction procedure with this. Because like we said, you know, like our subtle reinforcement, like I really want you to achieve. So as soon as you say apple, after you say banana, I'm going to give some kind of response. We can't, like we just can't. Um, so how does an error correction procedure work? And oftentimes um, I've had therapists who don't do what's called the transfer trial with an error correction procedure. So what do I mean by that? I mean, okay, so I hold up something. So I hold up you know, a cup. And I say, what's this? And they say, apple cup. I'm like, no, cup, apple cup, right? So what the error correction procedure would be is this, Sherry, you're going to pretend to be the student and you're th this response I want is cup. I know it could be water. I know it could be a whole bunch of other things, but I'm going to hold up this and I'm going to say, what is it? And I want you to scroll. What is it? Apple banana cup. And then I'm going to say, oh, try again. What is it? Cup. Cup. Good. See, some people think that that's enough teaching, but what did I just do? She didn't label the cup. She echoed me. So it wasn't attacked. It was an echo. So I need to go further. So watch this. Scroll again, Shira. What's this? Apple cup. Try again. What's this? Cup. Cup. Good. Cup. What's this? Cup. 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 Good. What's this? Cup. Yeah, you got it. Amazing. Good work, Shira. <laughs> right. So see what I did there is I did a transfer trial. So I didn't just get her to echo my words cup. I transferred it over to what's called an echoic to tact prompt, which is echoically. I give her the answer. She or sorry, I, I model the answer. She says it. And then it's not good enough. I have to transfer that over thinking the second time when I say, what is it? She might just answer apple cup again. I go cup and I give her some kind of verbal cue. That's still not good enough. It's still echoic or it's still an echoic. The next part is she needs to answer independently. What is it? She says cup. So that's the error correction procedure. And then what I could do is I could move on to something that's completely mastered for a couple of trials and then come back and try it again and say, what is it? Um, so that would be a full error correction procedure. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to expressive language, especially with intraverbals, that's where we see a lot of the scrolling and echolalia and very often it's because they don't really have the foundational skills to be moving into that type of language. So sometimes if we're already working on what's your name and how old are you and what's your mom's name and what's your address and all of those even beginner introverbal skills, if they're too abstract for some, for some of our learners and they don't have anything to back it up with in terms of the receptive language and the tactic and the manting and the requesting, um, then they're just going to memorize it. And that's where we see a lot of the echolalia and the scrolling is because it's not meaningful enough for them. They don't have the foundational um, skills to back it up, right? Like I, there's an example of if I would tell you to describe an apple, you know, you can say, um, it's crunchy, it's green, you eat it. And I'm able to say all those things because I, what I'm doing right now is picturing in my head an apple. If I had no idea what an apple was and you were just telling me describe an apple and I had to memorize the words crunchy, green, you eat it, I could memorize it and you could reinforce me for giving those responses introverbally. But in reality, I don't have that image of an apple in my head. I'm not really learning anything. So we do need to be careful when moving into the introverbal and expressive language domains that they've really solidified the receptive language, the manding, the tacting, all of those other domains. 
Um, the best way we find to do that is in teaching a lot of those skills, teaching across operants and teaching the matching, the labels, the taxing, the requesting all at the same time so that they're learning that I can call it an apple. I tell you that you eat an apple. I can point to the apple. I can match the apple and I can answer a question about the apple if I'm ready for that. Um, so really thinking about language across operants and not just building up meaningless, you know, introverbal skills. I've had people who say, well, I've got to teach across operants. So I'm going to pick something from, you know, the C category in the ABLES. And then I'm going to pick something else from the F category and the G category, but I have to get those introverbals in there. So I've got to pick something from the H category. And that's not really what we mean. That is not at all what we mean about teaching across operants. You know, what Shira said is, okay, so if you're to learn about an apple, I'm going to have you receptively identify an apple. I'm actually going to have you match whole bunch of different apples so that you know that apples are green and they're yellow and they're red and they're different shapes, kind of, sort of. But that's matching. So I'm going to have you matching that and then have you receptively identifying it. And as soon as you're able to receptively identify it, if you have some vocals, the vocalizations, I'm going to have you tacked it right away. I'm not going to wait until, oh, we're not ready for that F category, G category yet in the ABLES. Uh, No, like as soon as you're done receptively identifying it, you're going to tact it. Um, And then, you know, the introverbals, you can ask questions about it. Now, with that being said, just in terms of introverbals, Shira, um, I've had lots of people scroll through introverbals and it's because they're not understanding. And then I look at their age. You know, these kids are three or four. Maybe they're five or six, but they've only been talking for a year or two. And I look at, uh, you know, any any other kid, you know, like I get a kid in kindergarten class and I can ask them, you know, all those Sunberg VB map questions that they have. I'll ask, uh, I'll ask some, you know, kids in mainstream classrooms, some of those questions and they don't know the answers. They don't have a lot of introverbals. I see teachers sitting around trying to teach a circle time, you know, in September of JKSK, whereby they're at talking about apples and, you know, harvest and all that kind of stuff. And these kids are like, my cat's name is Mittens. Like they don't really have any type of introverbal skills. So, you know, if mainstream kids aren't having that, don't have that introverbal skill, how do we expect our kids who are the same age or who've only been talking for a couple of years to have that as well? So you may need to build up the receptive and tacting areas first and get those really rich before you expect that introverbal component. Sure. Do we want to talk about echolalia at all? I know it wasn't really in the question, but can we just kind of go offside or, you know, kind of down a tangent and talk about echolalia a bit? Because I think it's really important and kind of goes along with scrolling. Yeah, we do get a lot of questions about how to deal with echolalia. So let's do it. Okay. So echolalia, like I said before, you know, you say, what's your name? And a kid says, what's your name? No, that's not what I wanted to say. Um, And I think echolalia happens for two reasons. Number one, it happens because there's lack of understanding. Um, You know, you've probably taught them to memorize a whole bunch of stuff and they're just trying to memorize more stuff. Um, But the other reason echolalia happens is because, you know, kids' programs are you know, what do we do when kids don't tact properly? We give them a a prompt, right? We model it and then they're supposed to repeat after us. So they've had a history of repeating after us for so long. What is it? Apple, say Apple, you know, what is this? Say this, what's your name? Say this, that then all of a sudden you ask them a question. They're like, well, what do I do? Well, I've had to repeat everything else you say, so I'm going to repeat it. Um, And that would be what echolalia is. So how do you get rid of echolalia? Shira? So I think the first thing is consider um, what the expectations are and if they're appropriate. Um, 
And if they are, you know, the child is, has a really solid receptive vocabulary and you want them to learn their name. And so you're teaching them what's your name. Um, sometimes we'll do a lot of, um, in terms of errorless teaching, just giving them, giving them the prompt and having it be correct. If I'll say, what's your name, Johnny? And I'll model the response. And so shaping his response to just say, Johnny. So even though he's repeating it, it's still the correct answer. And then I'll fade out the model that I was giving so that it's almost like a one-to-one errorless prompt. So what's your name, Johnny? He says, Johnny. What's your name, Johnny? Johnny. What's your name, Johnny? Johnny. What's your name, Johnny? What's your name, Johnny? Good. What's your name? Johnny. Um, Now, lots of people will argue that those social questions or those personal questions are just memorized answers. And they absolutely are. That's probably a bad example on our part. But those personal questions, I call them little old lady questions. They're fairly essential. So even though, you know, our kids may not, you know, have the understanding to do, you know, a lot of interverbals, those personal questions are important, number one, for safety reasons, but number two, for just, you know, little old lady passes Johnny on the street and, you know, Johnny should be able to answer, what's your name? You may not understand what name means and all that kind of stuff, but that's okay. Um, but an interverbal more so like, um, you know, what color is the duck? You know, what, what does a duck say? All of those kinds of things um, would be, you know, kind of moving up that interverbal checklist on the ables. And, you know, how do you prevent echolalia in that, in that way? And uh, Sheer and I have done this program before where we really try and make things concrete. So it's a little bit of a tact first, and but kids really seem to understand it. Um, so what we do is like a comment comment. So I have, you know, a child hold an object and I hold another object. Sometimes they're farm animals, sometimes they're other objects, whatever they like to play with. Um, but pretend they're farm animals. And I'm holding up a cow and Sheer is holding up a duck and Sheer is my student. And I say, I have a cow. I want Shira to say, I have a duck, um, but she, I hold up a cow and I say, I have a cow. And Shira might say, if she's got a Kalalia, I have cow. a duck <laughs> or she might say cow or I have a cow. I mean, so she'd repeat what I say, but because she's got something concrete in her hand, I can show her, no, look, you have a duck and that's pronouns. We can get into that another time, but look, I have a cow and she says, I have a cow. And you can say, no, look, you've got a duck. You know, look, I've got a cow. And, he, and then you can prompt and they say, I have a good look, a duck, a duck. Get in there. And really that little back and forth exchange, either I have a cow, I have a duck, or even I see with pictures, right? I see this, I see that. Having the learner say something different from you is huge. And if you can teach that, um, that's incredible. And that goes a long way. As soon as I'm able to teach that I have that and they say something different from me, I see a whole world of understanding open up and I see that aha moment with kids. Um, but again, you've got to be really careful of that error correction procedure. So it's not just um, he or she or do this with me. So you've got a, you've got a duck. I've got the cow. Um, but you're going to you're going to repeat after me for Eclalia. Look, I have a cow. I have a cow. No, you've got a duck. Look, I have a cow. I have a duck. I have a duck. Good. If I left it at that, what's that? That's echoic, right? So I need to do an echoic to interverbal transfer, or you could say echoic to tact transfer. But look, I have a cow. Error. I have a cow. Look, you have a duck. Say duck. Duck. Good. I have it. You can say, I have a duck. I have a duck. But look, I have a cow. Say, I have a duck. I have a duck. Good. I have a cow. I have a, I have a duck. Good. I have a cow. 
I have a duck. Yeah, you got it. See that? I keep going with that transfer trial until they actually get it. So it's that choic to introverbal transfer is what you really, really want. And then you would do that with a variety of objects. And some people say to me, okay, so the step, the teaching step that we're on is cow and duck, right? And I'm like, no, it's not just cow and duck. It's not just cow and duck because uh, that gets into whole other issues, right? Because then all of a sudden you bring out monkey and horse and the kid's like, I have a duck. You constantly have to be changing up the items. So making sure that all the time it's not just cow and duck, but the next one is, you know, horse and monkey and the monkey's not a farm animal. I totally understand that. Um, But the next one is this and then that constant change um, just so that they really understand that. Yeah. It comes down to good teaching, Um, you know, considering the child's skills where they're at using the right error correction procedures um, and always consider like with echolalia or speech, you know, if you want to contact a speech therapist or if the child is working with a speech pathologist and they have suggestions on, on ways to deal with that, then that would be a great opportunity to reach out. Absolutely. And, you know, SLPs are fantastic uh, in knowing about language and understanding, you know, where the child's at in terms of their language understanding and being able to offer some really valuable tips. So making sure that you do reach out if you have questions. Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate and review so others can find out about us too. For more from How to ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com and make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.